as I talk about what our response is or should be when we're hurt. When somebody hurts us, how should we handle that? 1 John chapter 4, verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Verse 16, And we have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love, and the one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in Him. Relationships are the crucible of life. And the hardest things that you and I will ever experience in this life are things that relate and pertain to relationships and some of the best experiences that we will ever know in life are experiences that are born in the crucible of relationships. Relationships are the source of the most pain you'll ever know. And they are the result, they are the source of the most pleasure and blessing and joy that you will ever experience. And unless we are hermits, we cannot escape relationships. In the family, there's the relationship of husband and wife and wife to husband and parents to children and children to their parents, to brothers and sisters, etc. You know how it goes. And then there are friends that we know and interact with and then there are neighbors and acquaintances. You cannot escape relationships. And relationships have a connection. The word means to connect. So when relationships go sour, there's something that is disconnected and fragmented. And so we use terms like fragments and broken and those horrible words. God is concerned about our relationships because He started it, you see, with the first relationship. Now, if you're following an outline or in the uh, little sheet, there are four stages of relationships. Four stages of relationships. The first stage is called romanticism. In this stage, feelings are alive and emotions are charged and supercharged and Feelings are very high, and we see only the good in the other person. That person is just wonderful, you know. He's just Mr. Glorious, and she is the greatest thing since sliced bread. I mean, it's just great. Romanticism. Then there is reality. Reality begins to set in, and we start saying things like this. I didn't realize that you were like this. I didn't know you had a temper. I didn't know this about you. Why didn't you tell me this about you? The third stage is resentment. And we start saying things like this. You don't meet me halfway. You don't do your part. 
You're not fair to me. And we come to the final stage of relationships. It's called rebellion. And we say things like this, I hate this relationship. I despise this, I'm in a trap and I want out. And usually by the time we get to the last stage of relationships, if we get to that stage where I hate this relationship, it might be with a roommate, it might be with a friend, it might be in a family, it might be in a marriage. By the time we get to this last stage of relationships, usually only God's love and God's forgiveness can break down the barriers that exist in that stage. Now what I want to do tonight is not focus on your hurt or upon the one who hurt you. Some people refer to what is called pitchfork Christianity. I I don't know, except that term, they they say, well, pitchfork pitchfork Christianity is where you pitch it off on somebody else. You put the blame on somebody else. What I want to do tonight is not so much find out who's to blame or or to focus on the hurt itself, but I want to spend a little time tonight just giving some principles that relate to my responsibility and what I am responsible for in in a broken relationship or when I am hurt, what am I to do? And I'll take personal responsibility for my part in it, you see. Now I've read a passage of scripture on the love of God It's significant that this was written by the person who was most intimately related to Jesus. He was called the disciple whom Jesus loved. He was the man who leaned upon him at the Last Supper. His name was John. And he had this intimate relationship with Christ. Now Jesus didn't have favorites, but he had intimates. And John was an intimate. And it's significant that having leaned his ear upon the heart of the Lord, he heard the heartbeat of love. And so he described God and defined Him as love. He is by nature love, so that He doesn't love us because we are loving objects. He loves us because He is a loving subject, and it is His nature to love. And if God is love, and it is His nature to love, then 1 Corinthians chapter 13, which is the love chapter, tells us what that love is. Now I want to suggest tonight that in the context of a letter addressed to carnal people, to the worst kinds of folks, dropped in the middle of that letter is this marvelous chapter on love. And the significance of that chapter is not that he's telling us how we ought to love somebody. He's telling us what God's love is like for us, believe it or not. So God's love is patient and kind, never jealous or envious, never boastful or proud, never haughty or selfish or rude. Love does not demand its own way, is not irritable or touchy, will hardly even notice when others do it wrong, is never glad about injustice, but rejoices whenever truth wins out. If you love someone, you'll be loyal to him no matter what the cost. You'll always believe in him. You'll always expect the best of him, and you will always stand your ground in defending him. And what he's saying there is that that's the way God loves you. 
Now, if somebody has hurt you in a relationship, and some of you tonight have in relationships or broken relationships some hate and some resentment, I know you have, and the thought of these relationships conjures up in your mind resentment and bitterness and anger. And some of you are waiting for somebody to love you, for somebody to reach out to you, to make things right with you, to, 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 to move toward you in some kind of response and ask for forgiveness. But if God is love, and God loves you like that, and God loves the person that has hurt you just like that, then who are you not to, you see? You love Him first, and you reach out to Him first, etc. It's easy to love God. It's not easy to love others. Now I want to ask a question tonight, and I want you to show, I want a show of hands, believe it or not. How many of you have ever been hurt, would you lift your hand? Okay, that's unanimous. Everybody has been hurt. Now I don't want you to show hands, I, I don't want a show of hands on this, but let me ask this question. How many of you intentionally, intentionally go around hurting people? Now don't show hands. I don't suppose that there'd be anybody here tonight who would admit that they go around deliberately hurting people. Give that person the benefit of the doubt that hurts you, that they did not deliberately do that. Now I want to suggest, just scatter shooting, some simple suggestion, some principles about what you can do when others hurt you. When we are hurt, this is first, when we are hurt, we focus on ourselves and we focus on the pain and the wound. I'm going to give some good advice that, you know, it's hard to take. Easy to say and hard to do. When you have been hurt, instead of focusing on self, focus on the Lord and say, Lord, what qualities do you want to build in me in this pain? That's one thing you can do. A second thing you can do, don't knock it till you try it, is that you can give thanks in the pain. Now I didn't say you can give thanks for the pain, you can give thanks in the pain. And you can say deliberately as an act of volition, Lord I give thanks in this because I know you're in control and, and, and I know you'll take care of this matter. That's the second thing you can do. A third thing you can do is to forgive as an act of the will. You can forgive as an act of the will. Whether you feel, it's not a matter of feeling, it's an act of the will. And forgiveness, as I've suggested in this place before, is tearing up the IOUs. When somebody hurts me, I write it down in my little pad, you know, my little mental pad. You owe you owe me, or I owe you one, buddy, for that, and I'll get it even. You can tear up the IOUs. That's another thing you can do. A fourth thing you can do is that you can claim the promise of God that all things work together for good. And that somewhere, sometime, as the result of this pain, some good is going to come. 
That's the fourth thing. There is a fifth thing you can do, and Job 42.10 says that, Job, that, that, that God turned the captivity of Job when he prayed for his friends. You guessed it. You can begin to pray for the one who hurt you. And the amazing thing about this is, is that, when, that, that the devil hates nothing any worse than when you are driven to prayer. He hates, he hates nothing worse than when you start praying. And when you start praying for somebody who has hurt you, then after a while the devil backs off because all he's doing when he keeps bringing that up and dredging that up in your memory so you'll be hurt, all, all it causes you is that it drives you to prayer so it prompts him to leave you alone and back away. Those are some suggestions. Now some questions that we need to ask. I said it was going to be scatter shooting. Some questions that you need to ask when you're hurt. One question is, is this, is my God bigger than my hurt? Which is the bigger, which is the greater? My pain or His provision, which is the greater? Which is the greater, my suffering or His sufficiency? Which is the greater? My hurt or the God of my hurt? Which is the greater? For when I determine which is the greater, then what is the, which I have determined to be the greater ought to be the place where I put my focus. If I know something that is greater than my hurt, I need to focus on that rather than my hurt, you see. That's the solution. So I have to ask myself, is this, is my God bigger than my hurt? Second question. If you, let me, let me preface the question with this. If you broke up the word forgive, it would be two words, forgive. That's a great mind of mine, figure that out. Now, I'm asking this question, am I looking for a way of giving, you see? Am I looking for a way of giving? Now, one of the most astounding things about the doctrine of grace is, is that, is that the, the uh, unworthiness of the recipient makes grace the greater. The more unworthy is the recipient of grace makes the gift of grace that much more profound. So that marvelous verse that says, For God demonstrated His love toward us, in that while and at the same time, is the Greek construction, while and at the same time we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So that this, this sin which ought to have, which should have, which on the basis of just, justice, should have required God turning His back on us, prompted His gift of grace, you see. Now, what that says to me is that I have to ask myself, is, you know, can I say to myself, is this an opportunity for me to give as a demonstration of grace to you? 
That's a good question. Mark Twain says that forgiveness, and I don't often quote Mark Twain, but Mark Twain says that forgiveness is the fragrance of a violet on the heels of one who crushed it. Now what he was saying is that forgiveness is like a guy, you know, he smells like he's, when he steps on somebody and crushes them, when he walks away, he smells like a violet when you forgive. Now most of the time when people walk away from me, it smells like they've stepped in something bad. I mean, you know what I'm saying? But, but forgiveness is, the, is like a violet that you, you smell when you crush it and you walk away from it. Um, can I see this hurt as an opportunity to give and give and give? Um, when someone hurts you, third question. When someone hurts you, what do you want to do? I have to ask myself, what do I want to do? Let me, let me ask you, what do you want to do when somebody hurts you? You want to hurt them back. That's right. Somebody hits me in the mouth, hit them in the back in the mouth. Twice. You know, if, I, if I can get a chance. What do you want to do when somebody hurts you? I want to hurt back. Let me read you something. It's found in the third chapter of 1 Peter. Listen to it. To sum up, let all be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, humble in spirit, not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead. What, a, what an amazing thing. Though I see it as an opportunity to give. But giving a blessing instead, for you were called for that very purpose. And here is the kicker, that you might inherit a blessing. Now, if I, if I understand the Scripture there, and I hope I'm not practicing some form of eisegesis, forcing something on it that wasn't intended to be, what he's saying is this, is that when you see hurt as an opportunity to give, what happens is that in your giving you receive a blessing in return. Now, I don't know whether that blessing is from God or from the one who's receiving your gift, but it doesn't matter. All right, fourth question, or third, or whatever it is. Now this is a serious question. Now gang, watch this. Now I think if we really get serious about what to do when we're hurt, we, need to have, to, we have to ask ourselves this question. Am I generalizing the horrible hurt, inscribing it to the whole relationship, or can I isolate the incident over here? Now, this is what I need to, how I need to help you see this. Sometimes when we're hurt, we generalize that one hurt and we ascribe it to the whole relationship. And we say this, you've hurt me so we can never have any kind of relationship anymore. You are our hurter and you did this to me, so our relationship is over, finis, it's out, history gone. Or can you take 
that isolated event and isolate it and say, this is something that you did at this point in time and it hurt me, but this is not the way you are, really, general. This is not the way you are. You're not a herder. You hurt me here, but that's not the whole picture. Now, it is important that you and I are able to isolate every incident of hurt so that we do not ascribe that incident and make it generally... Uh, you know, apply to the whole relationship. If that's true, if, if you can't do that, then you're pretty soon in your life, you're going to be totally disconnected from any relationship because there are going to be incidents in every relationship where you're going to be hurt. Now, there are five stages of forgiveness. I told you this is scatter shooting. But when you've got a sermon that needs to pre be preached in about three and you're going to try to do it, you know, in a Domino's pizza, you know, if I don't deliver it in 30 minutes, I don't have, you don't have to pay for it. I definitely want you to pay for it. So you've got to get it all here and scatter shooting. There are five stages of forgiveness. Now, if you've read, and I know that if you know anything about death and dying, you've read Kubler-Ross's book on death and dying. Shake your head like that if you've ever read that book. It's the classic. Now, a woman by the name of Kubler-Ross, it's two, it's two words, it's her last name, Kubler-Ross, uh, Swiss psychiatrist, um, long story, in the, in, a, in the medical hospital the, of the University of Chicago, she came up with the classic stages of dying. These are the stages. You say, well, where'd we get off on that? Well, I'll show you in a minute. The first stage is denial, I'm not going to die. They mixed up my lab report with somebody else's. So the first stage of dying is denial. The second stage is anger. I blame others. I blame God. I blame somebody for the reason I'm like I am. I'm dying and I'm gonna, I blame you for it. I've had people get mad at me but not visiting them enough when they come to die. And, and I, don't, I don't get offended by that. I know they're going through the stage of anger. Third stage, bargaining. I set up conditions to be fulfilled so I can get healed or I won't have to die or I will die and I'm going to set up conditions before I do. Fourth, depression. I blame myself for being disturbed by death. I'm depressed about it. Fifth stage, acceptance. I look forward to dying. I was talking to a, a mutual, a, 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 a relative of a, of a friend this week, and, and he taught me, talk, talked to me about, told me about his, my friend, his relative, about his, his death. And he said toward the end of his death, he literally looked forward to it. And he said, he wasn't pulling our leg. He would just talk about it with excitement. He looked forward. He had come to the stage of acceptance. Five stages of dying. The amazing thing about being hurt and forgiving is that you go through the same five stages. The first stage is denial. I'm not hurt. You can't hurt me. You're not going to get to me. I'm not hurt. Denial. Second stage. I blame others for hurting me. 
You've brought this pain on me. You've hurt me. I blame you for it. You're the cause of my tears. You're the cause of my pain. Bargainings, third. I set up conditions before I will forgive you. You come crawling back and I'll forgive. I set up conditions for your forgiveness. Fourth, depression. I blame myself for letting your hurt, letting you hurt me and destroy me. I'm a weak person and I'm depressed. Acceptance. Step five. I look forward. Are you listening? I look forward to the growth which is going to come through this pain. Acceptance. I look forward to the growth that I'm going to experience. Now, if you swallow your anger, it's going to come up somewhere else. If you swallow your resentment, it's like putting a balloon in a bathtub. It'll pop out at the other end. There's another way you can express it, and you can express your anger even to God. I know a guy who drives down the road, and he just says, God, I'm mad. I'm mad at you, and I'm angry at the world, and I want you to know that I'm angry at you, etc." Here's a kicker. To the degree that you hold grudges for your hurt, to the same degree will you experience forgiveness. Now there's an application and I'm through. The application has three point, point, parts to it, three points and no point. Number one, is the recognition of something that happens to you that deserves forgiveness. Now let me, let me say what I'm saying. There are some things that happen to you that are so trivial, they don't, you don't even deserve forgiveness. I mean, I didn't speak to you yesterday and you're going to hold a grudge at me for that for the rest of my life? Maybe I didn't even see you, you see. Somebody went ahead of you at the at the four-way stop sign and you're not going to like them until they come and say, hey, I ran ahead of you at the... That's stupid. There are some things that are not even serious enough to require forgiveness and you need to know the difference. I mean, some of us have a big old chip right here and, 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 and we just... Every little old thing hurts us. Forget it. Goofy. That's where they put it out. All right, second... We need, to put, we need to perform surgery. Now watch this carefully. We need to perform surgery so that we, this is the second step in the application, so that we're able to cut away from the person the disloyalty or the betrayal they have done. We need to be able to disengage what has been done from the person who did it. Now that's not easy to do that, but it can be done. Now I'm not a perfect person. Does that shock you? <laughs> okay. Thanks, cousin. <laughs> I am not a perfect person. <laughs> if y'all want to know who that is, his, start, his initials are D. Polk. <laughs> and there are a lot of things that I cannot do, but I am able to do this. True story. I am able to separate from the person what the person does. I am able to do that. 
Now, there are a lot of things that I am guilty of that I wish I could say I, I was not guilty of, but that is one thing I can do. It can be done. So that what the person does is not always what the person is. Give them credit for that. And then the third part of the application is somehow there needs to begin the initiation of the starting over process. And you need to be the one that does, does that. Don't wait on them. In Guidepost Magazine, there was this marvelous story of what went on in room 712, in a hospital room 712. And this nurse decided, thought, well, I'll go down and check room 712, see how things are going. When she went in there, there was this man there in the bed, and everything was just fine. All vital signs were just great. But he began to show signs of, of, uh, of um, uh, anxiety and, and hyperventilation, and, 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 and the equipment started showing signs that things weren't going too well for him. And she tried to calm him down and you know, check him out and take his vital, all that stuff you do. And, and, and when she started to leave, he, he said, I, I wish you would call my daughter. And she said, well, I'll be glad to. And he told her the number. And she started out the, out the door, and he said, uh, Nurse, do you have a piece of paper? And she felt in her uniform and found a little scrap piece of paper, about that big. And said, so, well, this is, he said, that's enough. And she handed it to him. And she went back to the nurse's station to call his daughter. She called the number and, and, the, and the girl answered and, and she said, the nurse said, I, I, I don't want to alarm you, but your father wanted me to call you and he's having a little distress. And, he just, and she started, she, she panicked. She started, um, not, not a normal response of, you know, how's he doing, but Oh, please tell me that he's not going to die. Please, Izzy, don't tell me he's going to die. Oh, no, she said. He's, he's not going to die. And she said, well, it's not, it's not like you think. The last time I talked to my father, several years ago, I walked out the door and slammed the door and said, I hate you. Please tell me he's not going to die. Well, he's not going to die. He's going to be okay. She put down the receiver and she went back to room 712 and all was quiet. She checked his pulse and he was dead. She began CPR and she called in the emergency group and they all came in there and worked with him and couldn't revive him. And she took the... She took the... The sheet pulled it up over his face turned off the gurgling oxygen supply and started out the door and saw this girl, saw a girl down the hall talking to a doctor. And she came running into the room and she grabbed the, the uh, sheet that was over his face, pulled him up to her face and was sobbing uncontrollably. And when she did that, this little piece of paper kind of floated out onto the floor. The nurse picked it up 
And this is what it said. Darling, I forgive you. I hope you forgive me. I know you don't hate me. Love, Dad. Now, isn't it tragic that the forgiveness and the restoration of a broken relationship was only half repaired? If there had been enough time, you see, that could have been reciprocal. And she could have said, Dad, I want you to know that I do love you. And I forgive you and I want you to forgive. You know what I'm saying? So it might not be necessary tonight if there is a broken relationship, if it's serious enough to demand forgiveness, and you can isolate it from the person while you still have time, it might be a good idea for you to begin to initiate some kind of let's start over stuff. Let's pray together. Father, we are reminded tonight that you, we have brought you such great pain and yet you've been there for us and you've reached out to us and you've loved us. And you've not approved of the way we've acted and you've isolated that action. You've judged it for it, judged us and judged it. And yet you've always reached out like the prodigal's father to the prodigal's son. God grant us the grace, the will to do the same. We thank you for the relationships that you've given us and brought into our lives. and We just pray for the will and the grace and the wisdom to do what's necessary within those relationships. That we'll be like you'd want us to be. For I ask in Jesus' name for His sake. Now there might be someone tonight who needs to come and give their life to Christ. When you walked away from God and you, you chose your own way and you rebelled against Him, you severed your relationship with God, but you didn't get outside of His love. And He wants to receive you back and he's gone the miles that have transpired uh, between you and him, traversed those miles to find you. And he's come into this very room seeking you. He just wants you to let him find you. There are some of you tonight who may need to place your life in the fellowship of a church or to recommit your life to Christ to one another. While we stand to sing, we invite your response.